Chapter Twelve of the Ivory Child by H. Rider Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve, The First Curse. The next thing I remember was feeling upon my face the sunlight that poured through a window place which was protected by immovable wooden bars. For a while I lay still, reflecting as memory returned to me upon all the events of the previous day and upon my present unhappy position. Here was I, a prisoner in the hands of a horde of fierce savages, who had every reason to hate me. For though this was done in self-defence, had I not killed a number of their people against whom personally I had no quarrel? It was true that their king had promised me safety, but what reliance could be put upon the word of such a man? Unless something occurred to save me, without doubt my days were numbered. In this way or in that I should be murdered, which served me right for ever entering upon such a business. The only satisfactory point in the story was that, for the present at any rate, Ragnall and Savage had escaped, though doubtless sooner or later fate would overtake them also. I was sure that they had escaped, since two of the camel-men with us had informed Marut that they saw them swept away, surrounded by our people, and quite unharmed. Now they would be grieving over my death, since none survived who could tell them of our capture, unless the Black Kendah chose to do so, which was not likely. I wondered what course they would take when Ragnall found that his quest was in vain, as of course must happen. Try to get out of the country, I suppose, as I prayed they might succeed in doing, though this was most improbable. Then there was Hans. He, of course, would attempt to retrace our road across the desert, if he had got clear away. Having a good camel, a rifle, and some ammunition, it was just possible that he might win through, as he never forgot a path which he had once travelled, though probably in a week's time a few bones upon the desert would be all that remained of him. Well, as he had suggested, perhaps we should soon be talking the event over in some far sphere with my father and others. Poor old Hans! I opened my eyes and looked about me. The first thing I noticed was that my double-barrelled pistol, which I had placed at full cock beside me before I went to sleep, was gone, also my large clasp-knife. This discovery did not tend to raise my spirits, since I was now quite weaponless. Then I observed Marut seated on the floor of the hut, staring straight in front of him, and noted that at length even he had ceased to smile, but that his lips were moving as though he were engaged in prayer or meditation. "'Marut,' I said, "'someone has been in this place while we were asleep and stolen my pistol and knife.' "'Yes, Lord,' he answered, "'and my knife also. I saw them come in the middle of the night, two men who walked softly as cats and searched everything.' "'Then why did you not wake me?' "'What would have been the use, Lord? If we had caught hold of the men, they would have called out, and we should have been murdered at once. It was best to let them take the things.' which, after all, are of no good to us here. The pistol might have been of some good, I replied significantly. Yes, he said, nodding, but at the worst death is easy to find. Do you think, Marut, that we could manage to let Harut and the others know of our plight? That smoke which I breathed in England, for instance, seemed to show me far-off things. If we could get any of it— the smoke was nothing, Lord, but some harmless burning powder which clouded your mind for a minute, and enabled you to see the thoughts that were in our minds. 
we drew the pictures at which you looked. Also, here there is none. Oh, I said, the old trick of suggestion, just what I imagined. Then there's an end of that, and as the others will think that we are dead and we cannot communicate with them, we have no hope except in ourselves. Or the child, suggested Marut gently. Look here, I said with irritation. After you have just told me that your smoke vision was a mere conjurer's trick, how do you expect me to believe in your blessed child? Who is the child? What is the child? And, this is more important, what can it do? As your throat is going to be cut shortly, you may as well tell me the truth. Lord Macumazahan, I will. Who and what the child is, I cannot say because I do not know. But it has been our God for thousands of years, and we believe that our remote forefathers brought it with them when they were driven out of Egypt at some time unknown. We have writings concerning it done up in little rolls, but as we cannot read them they are of no use to us. It is an hereditary priesthood, of which Harut, my uncle, for he is my uncle, is the head. We believe that the child is God, or rather a symbol in which God dwells, and that it can save us in this world and the next, for we hold that man is an immortal spirit. We believe also that through its oracle, a priestess who is called guardian of the child, it can declare the future and bring blessings or curses upon men, especially upon our enemies. When the oracle dies we are helpless, since the child has no mouth, and our enemies prevail against us. This happened a long while ago, and the last oracle having declared before her death that her successor was to be found in England, my uncle and I travelled thither disguised as conjurers and made search for many years. We thought that we had found the new oracle in the lady who married the Lord Giza because of that mark of the new moon upon her neck. After our return to Africa, however, for as I have spoken of this matter I may as well tell you all, here he stared me full in the eyes and spoke in a clear metallic voice, which somehow no longer convinced me. We found that we had made a mistake, for the real oracle, a mere girl, was discovered among our own people, and has now been for two years installed in her office. Without doubt the last guardian of the child was wandering in her mind when she told us that story before her death as to a woman in England, a country of which she had heard through Arabs. That is all. Thank you, I replied feeling that it would be useless to show any suspicion of his story. Now, will you be so good as to tell me who and what is the god, or the elephant Jana, whom you have brought me here to kill? Is the elephant a god, or is the god an elephant? In either case, what has it to do with the child? Lord, Jana among us Kenda represents the evil in the world, as the child represents the good. Jana is he whom the Mohammedans called Shaitan, and the Christians call Satan, and our forefathers, the old Egyptians, called Set. Ah, thought I to myself, now we have got it. Horus the divine child, and Set the evil monster, with whom it strives everlastingly. Always, went on Marut, there has been war between the child and Jana, that is, between good and evil and we know that in the end one of them must conquer the other. The whole world has known that from the beginning, I interrupted, but who and what is this Jana? 
Among the Black Kendah, Lord, Jana is an elephant, or at any rate his symbol is an elephant, a very terrible beast to which sacrifices are made, that kills all who do not worship him if he chances to meet them. He lives farther on in the forest yonder, and the Black Kendah make use of him in war, for the devil in him obeys their priests. Indeed, and is this elephant always the same? I cannot tell you, but for many generations it has been the same, for it is known by its size, and by the fact that one of its tusks is twisted downwards. Well, I remarked, all this proves nothing, since elephants certainly live for at least two hundred years, and perhaps much longer. Also, after they become rogues, they acquire every kind of wicked and unnatural habit, as to which I could tell you lots of stories. Have you seen this elephant? No, Macumazahan he answered with a shiver. If I had seen it, should I have been alive to-day? Yet I fear I am fated to see it ere long. Not alone. Again he shivered, looking at me in a very suggestive manner. At this moment our conversation was interrupted by the arrival of two black kenders who brought us our breakfast of porridge and a boiled fowl, and stood there while we ate it. For my part I was not sorry, as I had learned all I wanted to know of the theological opinions and practices of the land, and had come to the conclusion that the terrible devil-god of the Black Kender was merely a rogue elephant of unusual size and ferocity, which under other circumstances it would have given me the greatest pleasure to try to shoot. When we had finished eating, that is soon, for neither of our appetites was good that morning, we walked out of the house into the surrounding compound and visited the camel-men in their hut. Here we found them squatted on the ground, looking very depressed indeed. When I asked them what was the matter, they replied, Nothing, except that they were men about to die and life was pleasant. Also they had wives and children whom they would never see again. Having tried to cheer them up to the best of my ability, which I fear I did without conviction, for in my heart I agreed with their view of the case, we returned to the guest-house, and mounted the stair which led to the flat roof. Hence we saw that some curious ceremony was in progress in the centre of the market-place. At that distance we could not make out the details, for I forgot to say that my glasses had been stolen with a pistol and knife, probably because they were supposed to be lethal weapons or instruments of magic. A rough altar had been erected, on which a fire burned. Behind it the king, Simba, was seated on a stool with various counsellors about him. In front of the altar was a stout wooden table, on which lay what looked like the body of a goat or a sheep. A fantastically dressed man, assisted by other men, appeared to be engaged in inspecting the inside of this animal, with, we gathered, unsatisfactory results, for presently he raised his arms and uttered a loud wail. Then the creature's viscera were removed from it and thrown upon the fire, while the rest of the carcass was carried off. I asked Marut what he thought they were doing. He replied dejectedly, consulting their oracle, perhaps as to whether we should live or die, Macumazahan. Just then the priest in the strange feathered attire approached the king, carrying some small object in his hand. I wondered what it could be, till the sound of a report reached my ears, and I saw the man began to jump around upon one leg, holding the other with both his hands at the knee and howling loudly. Ah, I said, that pistol was full cocked and the bullet got him in the foot. Simba shouted out something, whereon a man picked up the pistol and threw it into the fire, round which the others gathered to watch it burn. 
you wait i said to marut and as i spoke the words the inevitable happened off went the other barrel of the pistol which hopped out of the fire with the recoil like a living thing but as it happened one of the assistant priests was standing in front of the mouth of that barrel and he also hopped once but never again for the heavy bullet struck him somewhere in the body and killed him now there was consternation everyone ran away leaving the dead man lying on the ground simba led the rout and the head priest brought up the rear skipping along upon one leg having observed these events which filled me with an unholy joy we descended into the house again as there was nothing more to see also because it occurred to me that our presence on the roof watching their discomfiture might irritate these savages about ten minutes later the gate of the fence round the guest-house was thrown open and through it came four men carrying on a stretcher the body of the priest whom the bullet had killed which they had laid down in front of our door then followed the king with an armed guard and after him the befeathered diviner with his foot bound up who supported himself upon the shoulders of two of his colleagues this man i now perceived wore a hideous mask from which projected two tusks in imitation of those of an elephant also there were others as many as the space would hold the king called to us to come out of the house which having no choice we did one glance at him showed me that the man was frantic with fear or rage or both look upon your work magicians he said in a terrible voice pointing first to the dead priest then to the diviner's wounded foot it is no work of ours king simba answered marut it is your own work you stole the magic weapon of the white lord and made it angry so that it has revenged itself upon you it is true said simba that the tube has killed one of those who took it away from you and wounded the other here was luck indeed but it was you who ordered it to do so magicians now hark yesterday i promised you safety but no spear should pierce your hearts and no knife come near your throats and drank the cup of peace with you but you have broken the pact working us more harm and therefore it no longer holds since there are many other ways in which men can die listen again this is my decree by your magic you have taken away the life of one of my servants and hurt another of my servants destroying the middle toe of his left foot if within three days you do not give back the life to him who seems to be dead and give back the toe to him who seems to be hurt as you well can do then you shall join those whom you have slain in the land of death how i will not tell you now when i heard this amazing sentence i gasped within myself but thinking it better to keep up my role of understanding nothing of their talk, I preserved an immovable countenance and left Marut to answer. This, to his credit be it recorded, he did with his customary pleasant smile. Poor king, he said, who can bring back the dead to life? Not even the child itself, at any rate in this world, for there is no way. Then, prophet of the child, you had better find a way or i repeat i send you to join them he shouted rolling his eyes 
what did my brother the great prophet promise to you but yesterday o king if you harmed us asked marut was it not that the three great curses should fall upon your people learn now that if so much as one of us is murdered by you these things shall swiftly come to pass i marut who am also a prophet of the child have said it now simba seemed to go quite mad so mad that i thought it was all over he waved his spear and danced about in front of us till the silver chains clanked upon his breast he vituperated the child and its worshippers who he declared had worked evil on the black kendah for generations he appealed to his god Jana to avenge these evils to pierce the child with his tusks to tear it with his trunk and to trample it with his feet all of which the wounded diviner ably seconded through his horrid mask there we stood before him i leaning against the wall of the house with an air of studied nonchalance mingled with mild interest at least that is what i meant to do and marut smiling sweetly and staring at the heavens whilst i was wondering what exact portion of my frame was destined to become acquainted with that spear of a sudden simba gave it up turning to his followers he bade them dig a hole in the corner of our little enclosure and set the dead man in it with his head out so that he may breathe an order which they promptly executed then he issued a command that we should be well fed and tended and remarking that if the departed was not alive and healthy on the third morning from that day we should hear from him again he and his company stalked off except those men who were occupied with the internment soon this was finished also there sat the deceased buried to the neck with his face looking towards the house a most disagreeable sight presently however matters were improved in this respect by one of the sextons fetching a large earthenware pot and several smaller pots full of food and water the latter they set round the head i suppose for the sustenance of the body beneath and then placed the big vessel inverted over all to keep the sun off our sleeping brother as i heard one say to the other this pot looked innocent enough when all was done like one of those that gardeners in england put over forced rhubarb no more and yet such is the strength of the imagination i think that on the whole i should have preferred the object underneath naked and unadorned for instance i have forgotten to say that the heads of those of the white kendah who had fallen in the fight had been set up on poles in front of simba's house they were unpleasant to contemplate but to my mind not so unpleasant as that pot as a matter of fact this precaution against injury from the sun to the late diviner proved unnecessary since by some strange chance from that moment the sun ceased to shine quite suddenly clouds arose which gradually covered the whole sky and the weather began to turn very cold unprecedentedly so marut informed me for the time of year which it will be remembered in this country was the season just before harvest obviously the black kendah thought so also since from our seats on the roof whither we had retreated to be as far as possible from the pot we saw them gathered in the market-place staring at the sky and talking to each other the day passed without any further event except the arrival of our meals for which we had no great appetite the night came earlier than usual because of the clouds and we fell asleep or rather into a series of dozes once i thought that i heard someone stirring in the huts behind us but as it was followed by silence i took no more notice at length the light broke very slowly for now the clouds were denser than ever shivering with the cold marut and i made a visit to the camel drivers who were not allowed to enter our house on going into their hut we saw to our horror that only two of them remained 
seated stonily upon the floor. We asked where the third was. They replied they did not know. In the middle of the night, they said, men had crept in, who seized, bound, and gagged him, then dragged him away. There was nothing to be said or done. We returned to breakfast filled with horrid fears. Nothing happened that day except that some priests arrived, lifted the earthen pot, examined their departed colleague, who by now had become an unencouraging spectacle, removed old dishes of food, arranged more about him, and went off. Also the clouds grew thicker and thicker, and the air more and more chilly, till, had we been in any northern latitude, I should have said that snow was pending. From our perch on the rooftop I observed the population of Simba Town discussing the weather with ever-increasing eagerness, also that the people who were going out to work in the fields wore mats upon their shoulders. Once more darkness came, and this night, notwithstanding the cold, we spent wrapped in rugs on the roof of the house. It had occurred to us that kidnapping would be less easy there, as we could make some sort of a fight at the head of the stairway, or, if the worst came to the worst, dive from the parapet and break our necks. We kept watch turn and turn about. During my watch about midnight I heard a noise going on in the hut behind us, scuffling and a stifled cry which turned my blood cold. About an hour later a fire was lighted in the centre of the market-place where the sheep had been sacrificed, and by the flare of it I could see people moving. But what they did I could not see, which was perhaps as well. Next morning only one of the camel-men was left. This remaining man was now almost crazy with fear, and could give no clear account of what had happened to his companion. The poor fellow implored us to take him away to our house, as he feared to be left alone with the black devils. We tried to do so, but armed guards appeared mysteriously and thrust him back into his own hut. This day was an exact repetition of the others, the same inspection of the deceased and renewal of his food, the same cold, clouded sky, the same agitated conferences in the market-place. For the third time darkness fell upon us in that horrible place. Once more we took refuge on the roof, but this night neither of us slept. We were too bold, too physically miserable, and too filled with mental apprehensions. All nature seemed to be big with impending disaster. The sky appeared to be sinking down upon the earth. The moon was hidden, yet a faint and lurid light shone now in one quarter of the horizon, now in another. There was no wind, but the air moaned audibly. It was as though the end of the world were near, as, I reflected, probably might be the case so far as we were concerned. Never, perhaps, have I felt so spiritually terrified as I was during the dreadful inaction of that night. Even if I had known that I was going to be executed at dawn, I think that by comparison I should have been light-hearted. But the worst part of the business was that I knew nothing— I was like a man forced to walk through dense darkness among precipices, quite unable to guess when my journey would end in space, but enduring all the agonies of death at every step. About midnight again we heard that scuffle and stifled cry in the hut behind us. "'He's gone,' I whispered to Marut, wiping the cold sweat from my brow. "'Yes,' answered Marut, "'and very soon we shall follow him, Mukumazahan.' I wished that his face were visible so that I could see if he still smiled when he uttered those words. An hour or so later the usual fire appeared in the marketplace, round which the usual figures flitted dimly. The sight of them fascinated me, 
although I did not want to look, fearing what I might see. Luckily, however, we were too far off to discern anything at night. While these unholy ceremonies were in progress, the climax came, that is so far as the weather was concerned. Of a sudden a great gale sprang up, a gale of icy wind such as in southern Africa sometimes precedes a thunderstorm. It blew for half an hour or more, then lulled. Now lightning flashed across the heavens, and by the glare of it we perceived that all the population of Simba town seemed to be gathered in the market-place. At least there were some thousands of them, talking, gesticulating, pointing at the sky. A few minutes later there came a great crash of thunder, of which it was impossible to locate the sound, for it rolled from everywhere. Then suddenly something hard struck the roof by my side and rebounded, to be followed next moment by a blow upon my shoulders which nearly knocked me flat, although I was well protected by the skin rugs. "'Down the stair,' I called. "'They are stoning us,' and suited the action to the word. Ten seconds later we were both in the room, crouched in its further corner, for the stones, or whatever they were, seemed to be following us. I struck a match, of which fortunately I had some, together with my pipe and a good pocket full of tobacco, my only solace in those days, and, as it burned up, I saw first that blood was running down Marut's face, and secondly that these stones were great lumps of ice, some of them weighing several ounces, which hopped about the floor like live things. "'Hailstorm,' remarked Marut, with his accustomed smile. "'Hellstorm,' I replied, for who ever saw hail like that before?' Then the match burnt out, and conversation came to an end, for the reason that we could no longer hear each other speak. The hail came down with a perpetual rattling roar, that in its sum was one of the most terrible sounds to which I ever listened, and yet above it I thought that I could catch another, still more terrible, the wail of hundreds of people in agony. After the first few minutes I began to be afraid that the roof would be battered in, or that the walls would crumble beneath this perpetual fire of the musketry of heaven, but the cement was good and the place well built. So it came about that the house stood the tempest, which, had it been roofed with tiles or galvanized iron, I am sure it would never have done, since the lumps of ice must have shattered one and pierced the other like paper. Indeed, I have seen this happen in a bad hailstorm in Natal which killed my best horse, but even that hail was as snowflakes compared to this. I suppose that this natural phenomenon continued for about twenty minutes, not more, during ten of which it was at its worst. Then by degrees it ceased, the sky cleared, and the moon shone out beautifully. We climbed to the roof again and looked. It was several inches deep in jagged ice, while the market-place and all the country round appeared in the bright moonlight to be buried beneath a veil of snow. Very rapidly, as the normal temperature of that warm land reasserted itself, this snow, or rather hail, melted, causing a flood of water which, where there was any fall, began to rush away with a gurgling sound. Also we heard other sounds, such as that from the galloping hooves of many of the horses which had broken loose from their wrecked stables at the north end of the market-place, where in great number they had been killed by the falling roofs, or had kicked each other to death, and a wild universal wail that rose from every quarter of the big town, in which quantities of the worst-built houses had collapsed. Further, lying here and there about the market-place, we could see scores of dark shapes that we knew to be those of men, women, and children, whom those sharp missiles hurled from heaven had caught before they could escape, and slain or wounded almost to death. 
for it will be remembered that perhaps not fewer than two thousand people were gathered on this market-place attending the horrid midnight sacrifice and discussing the unnatural weather when the storm burst upon them as suddenly as an avalanche the child is small yet its strength is great behold the first curse said marut solemnly i stared at him but as he chose to believe that a very unusual hailstorm was a visitation from heaven i did not think it worth while arguing the point only i wondered if he really did believe this then i remembered that such an event was said to have afflicted the old egyptians in the hour of their pride because they would not let the people go while these blackguardly black kendo certainly worse than the egyptians can ever have been also they would not let us go it was not wonderful therefore that harut should be the victim of fantasies on the matter not until the following morning did we come to understand the full extent of the calamity which had overtaken the black kendah i think i have said that their crops this year were magnificent and just ripening to harvest from our roof on previous days we could see the great area of them stretching to the edge of the forest when the sun rose that morning this area had vanished and the ground was covered with a carpet of green pulp also the forest itself appeared suddenly to have experienced the full effects of a northern winter not a leaf was left upon the trees which stood pointing their naked boughs to heaven no one who had not seen it could imagine the devastating fury of that storm for example the head of the diviner who was buried in the courtyard awaiting resurrection through our magic was it may be recalled covered with a stout earthenware pot now that pot had shattered into shards and the head beneath was nothing but bits of broken bone which it would have been impossible for the very best magic to reconstruct to the likeness of a human being calamity indeed stalked naked through the land End of chapter twelve